Good morning. Good Wednesday morning to you. Thanks for joining DJ and BK. DJ is continuing his days off. He'll be back on Monday. He deserves it. Guy works a lot, and he's got a good opportunity to get some time off, get some sunshine in the winter. Yeah, absolutely. I exchanged some texts with him yesterday, and he's having a great time, and I'm excited for him, he and his family, to go ahead and do that. Myself, PK, I'm here, ready to go. We got jazz basketball we got to talk about, and the guys who are going to be available. Got the Baseball Hall of Fame. Ten years, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, nope. Kurt Schilling, nope. Three of them, for all different reasons. I think they've got the credentials to be in, all three of them, but for different reasons, they're denied entry. Now they'll go to the Veterans Committee. What do you think about that? I think Bond should be in. Clemens, probably. Uh, Schilling, yeah, Schilling was a big game pitcher. I think he should be in. I don't know, you can keep him out because of politics. That shouldn't be, uh, as far as I'm concerned, much of a factor. You know, if he's breaking the law, that's another story, I guess. And murder, like some football player out there did uh, several years ago, that might be a different story. Uh, Too late to keep him out, obviously. Uh, But Ortiz gets in, and there were some rumors, but he never failed the test, as far as I know, reading up on it. Watched the induction ceremony yesterday. We'll have our baseball expert joining us at 7.30. Stay tuned for that. Our baseball expert, Steve Clowkey. Now, the great thing about the Ortiz opportunity to go in the Hall of Fame, he played for the Salt Lake Buzz. Remember that? Because he came up with Minnesota. And Minnesota, when when the Buzz first started, what was it, in 94, I think? That uh, their AAA was right here in Salt Lake, that beautiful stadium that they've got. Yeah, they were a triple-A before they moved over to the Angels. And so he played here. Steve Cloudy, I'm sure will remember it, be able to tell us how long he played here. And I think he got released, just flat-out got released by the organization. And then, obviously, he picked up with the Boston Red Sox, and away he went. Three World Series, phenomenal career. Became like a fixture in Boston, almost like the face of the team. Right when they had that bombing with the uh, the marathon, he was the one who spoke. If you remember, the expletive uh, Boston Strong. Yeah, it's amazing foreign guy do that, but yet then he was so beloved, universally beloved in Boston. And so I don't have any problem with him being in there if there hasn't been anything proven. But we'll talk about that. Get your opinions on that if you got any. Jazz got a game tonight. The rematch with the Suns tonight, eight o'clock later start. ESPN game, so you can go out to eat, get some more time before you have to get to the arena. Now, they put out an injury report so far. It's going to be without Donovan Mitchell. It's going to be without Rudy Gobert. Wow. (laughs) That's a lot of star power, right? The two faces of the franchise. Gobert would miss his second game. Mitchell's been out for a week now since the concussion thing. And that's too bad. The Suns going to be without two starters also. Not the same caliber. Uh, DeAndre Ayton and Jay Crowder. And then also I read that JaVale McGee, who is their backup center, moved into starting center with the injury to Ayton. So they'll be without their top two centers. And I suppose they'll start uh, Biombo over there. They picked him up, and he's been good. He had 16 and 13 on Monday against the Suns, or against the Jazz, I mean. 
Yeah, so he was obviously a great boost. Now he did that without Gobert. Uh, Whiteside, maybe he can show a little bit more hustle and be a little bit more into it. What do you think? It's going to be tough. It'll be tough for the Jazz to win this game without those two guys, obviously. I don't know how many times they've played without those two guys. I'm sure there's some stat out there. We know when they're without Gobert, he missed a bunch of games there with the COVID thing, and they really bombed. And he basically called them out, Gobert did, and compared the Suns to them and liked what the Suns were doing as he was watching games. So with both of those guys out, it's going to be really hard. It seems like the losses are just piling up. I don't think they're throwing in the towel in the regular season, but they have hit a stretch here that they haven't hit one like this in a good while, right? I can't even remember the last time. I mean, last year was pretty smooth. year before was messed up with the COVID and the interruption of the season by several months. So that doesn't really count that much. And before then, I don't think they went into this type of situation. But, you know, at the same time, they weren't losing guys to COVID and, and other stuff that they, they're doing. I was wondering, you know, they sat out guys that presumably could have played on Monday. But it tells you um, maybe they're not as interested in the regular season as they had been in the past. Now, what does that mean? Well, we'll know the answer to that in the playoffs. (laughs) Because if you have success in the playoffs, then what happens now doesn't matter. If you get a bad matchup and you get beat in the first round, well, maybe you should have tried to win more games. You know, we can second guess it forever. But that's what we do on talk radio, right? We just go back and forth and figure out one thing over another. We'll have to see. I mean, the idea, obviously, is they've been talking about Game 70. At some point, get healthy and maybe gain a little bit of more confidence, go on a little bit of a run like you have been, like you did do. Uh, what did you – you won 16 out of 19, and then you went up to Toronto, and most of the guys didn't play. And since then, there hasn't been a whole lot of stuff going on that's positive in terms of victories. But you know you can do it. So I haven't given up on the season. Just at this point here, the All-Star break is, what, three weeks away? Get through the All-Star break. You got nine days off. Nine days in the All-Star game during the break. The game's on Sunday, the day before President's Day, and they don't think they play again until Friday. I think their last game is the Wednesday before, and they don't play again until the following Friday. So they got a good time off. And at that point, you know, you have less than 30 games. Maybe you can kick it into gear at that point see what you got hold off the charging Mavericks. They were in the uh, in the Bay Area last night playing the Warriors, and the Warriors looked pretty good. Clay Thompson hitting some threes. And then you got the Grizzlies. You know, can you hold the can you catch them now? You don't have to worry about holding them off, but can you catch them? I think you can. Uh, I would like to see them get in that three spot. You know, not have to play the the Suns until the second round. But that's going to be tough, though, obviously. But I'm getting way ahead of myself, aren't I? Yeah. We'll see how that goes when we get there. A bunch of stuff to talk about. So, coming up next, hey, in fact, we'll do some jazz. We had Craig Bowlerjack on yesterday. I want to replay that for you. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Good morning. Welcome on in. DJ and PK coming at you on this Wednesday morning. DJ's off on PK running the show. We had Craig Bowlerjack. You know him. The voice of the TV broadcasts, the face, I don't know what whatever you say. He's just Craig Bolajak. He's a jazz broadcaster. We had him on with our guy, Riley Jensen, sat in. And so we interviewed Craig, get his thoughts on what's going on. 
Here we go, Craig Bolajak. Mr. Bolajak, David James, he did not win Sportscaster of the Year, so he needed a week off to recover because it's been very difficult for him. And, and he's, oh. he's with some strategy people, and they're going to map out something so he can get that thing back where yeah. it rightly yeah. belongs. So yeah. uh, forgive yeah. him. You know, he needs to take a little time. Yeah. Up he needs a session with Riley, by the way. There you go. Riley Jensen's joining <laughs> Riley us. Riley yeah. needs that motivational, you know, they need a half hour at least together. Craig, good to have you on, man. You're a gentleman and a scholar i appreciate hey, it my friend it's good to, uh, you know what you've been hanging out you know i kind of watch what you're doing but it's good to have you on there with pk you guys sound good what's happening yeah we've been talking a lot of stuff from riley with the sports psychologist and i would i've been complimenting him about uh, how he's a self-made man took a career change and succeed took a leap a leap of faith yeah. with his wife and succeeded and now he's just knocking out of the park and i told a story about when i first got my first uh sports radio gig and my dad said well yeah just make sure you don't quit that paper son because i don't know about that sports radio stuff <laughs> and then we were talking about having to receive breaks along the way and every Everybody has to receive some kind of break, and I'll play it into where we're going with this. But I just wanted to publicly put it out there that one of the guys who was in my corner 20-some years ago was Craig Bowlerjack, and I don't know that I've ever really acknowledged that to you. So I'm doing that right now to thank you for the support that I had that you gave me in furthering my opportunities to get where I am, and I, and I certainly appreciate that. Hey, man, are you going through like a 10-step process today? <laughs> hey, we're just digging into his brain a little bit. We're, we're making him feel better uh, about his situation. You know, I was thinking about that as I'm watching the ball game against the Suns, right? Because it, 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 I want to say it's unparalleled, but it's happened a couple of times where all the uh, dudes that we know and love aren't playing. So then you get to see these these youngster guys get out. And Rudy Gay is not a youngster, and I get that. And Clarkson is an established guy and maybe passed to an extent, but pretty much everybody else is out there trying to prove their worth, and it's the old Jerry Sloan line, hey, it's not just us, you got all these other teams in the league, so in a sense, I mean, they lost the game, and and, you know, the Suns, they're really good, obviously, but it's refreshing in a sense to see guys out there playing for their livelihoods because it's a story of like uh, like me and Riley and I'm sure you ha- you had it too back when you get some breaks you have to fight and prove yourself and yeah. and we see somebody like a uh, probably the most impressive to me was a Trent Forrest now I'm thinking this guy is going to have a place in the league whether it's with the Jazz or whomever and ultimately that's the goal is to have a place in the league and his performance to me was impressive enough to think alright he's got something here yeah you know, he's played well. It's it's consistently, you know, two over the last couple, three or four games that he's had an opportunity to play with Donovan Mitchell out. And, you know, Mike was out again last night on the back-to-back. Last week he went back-to-back. This week he didn't. In fact, you know, when I got the word that all five starters plus Joe would be out, I thought, wow, this could be a really ugly night. But, you know, to your point and to Riley's point, you guys, about competition and the mental part of it, has so much to play in. I think uh, over my years in the broadcast business, every game is unpredictable because, as Jerry Sloan always said to us in the broadcast, in the media field, in those interviews, in his gruff voice, you know, hell, everybody's out there looking at, you know, your <laughs> resume. He always talked about your resume and that 29 other, you know, eyeballs are on you. Uh, and that's why you have to go out and bust your tail every night. And I thought, Last night was a prime example of players who said to themselves, look, I'm in the NBA, 
look, I know it's Chris Paul and Devin Booker. I get it. But uh, and the best team in the league by the re- by record wise. But no, I was excited to see uh, the energy, the effort that was put forth last night. And there were several guys, Jared Butler. Sometimes we forget about this guy who won a national championship at Baylor, came out and played high level. Pascal has got you know game that you know again maybe will turn even more heads in the Jazz organization when they go small ball. Rudy Gay's a competitor, despite as you said, 16 years. Uh, in the league, but you know, I, I just thought there were moments last night. Daniel House Jr. He wants to be on this team. He wants to have another shot, as you guys are both discussing. Take the opportunity, and you get to be signed, and you never know what happens. Right, two ten days, and I know he wants a regular roster spot, but he, you know, at his size last night, he kind of proved that he can, you know, hang with the picks. It wasn't taking on a a team that's struggling. It's it's the it's the high level Phoenix Suns. Granted, they didn't have Crowder and DeAndre Ayton last night, but that was a fairly loaded team last night. And, you know, you can arguably say the best backcourt in the NBA. And I thought the Jazz, you know, just played played loose free and they had an attitude of I'm not going to be intimidated. And um, I, I liked what I saw. Craig, I think you're uniquely qualified to answer this question. And, and obviously the Jazz have struggled with <clears throat> some injuries, with some guys staying out. With, with different things that are going on, but how hard is it for you and, and and for an NBA player when you're on the road as much as you are and when you're, when you're on the train and when you're on the planes and, and you're in these different stadiums, how hard is it to bring it every single night? I mean, what kind of a mental strain does that put on an, uh, an NBA player and even yourself? Well, you know, I'd say I can't imagine what it's like right now. Look, they took us off the road before Christmas because of COVID. So my challenge, Riley, is real simple, and we don't talk about it much, but I call it games by myself with Big T when Holly's available and not on our ESPN assignments. Last night it was just the four of us, uh, Holly, myself, an audio uh, called an A2 uh, that was up at the arena, and it's, there's no one there. I mean, there was four of us just sitting there up on the third floor calling the game off the Jumbotron. So that's the challenge is just try to bring energy when I'm not even there, you know, and, and feel it and try to relate that to fans. And, you know, we've been through it here multiple times. Um, I'll be honest, I don't like it. You know, I'm, I think all of us are better when we interact uh, with people. The energy that I feel in the building and from fans, and it all brings it, you know, into – uh, you encapsulate it, you know, and your your body feels it. You know, it's the energy, it's the moment, and those are the things I miss the most. Uh, and for the players, I can't imagine. You know, again, they've been through it. You know, the bubble, uh, the testing, uh, and I think just the mental strain uh, that goes through it. Now, fans don't want to hear that, right? Because they always say, "Well, they get paid to play." I get it, but still, you know, they they still have a human element here now that this is a stressful time for everyone because they have families as well. They, they're concerned about kids. You know, Joe Ingles, you know, trying to protect, you know, his young kids, Conley, the same way. So, you know, um, I hope that we find, you know, the, the sky and the sun breaks through and we get to another level here because it's kind of a rinse and repeat cycle and it does wear on you mentally and, and, um, you know, personally, the the road the road is fatiguing, 
But at the same time, I think the better broadcasts come from when you're actually on site and you can actually tell the people at home what's happening outside of your just your 45-inch, you know, or the jumbotron screen view. What's happening in my left? What's happening in my right? What's coaches and players doing? What's happening in the stands? Those are the things I miss and, and miss the energy of, of the fans in just a moment. Jazz are eight games back of the Suns now. It looks like the best record in the in the West, at least, is is which is probably be the best record in the league. But anyway, it looks like that's gone. And I, I am surprised to a degree. I don't want to say a cavalier attitude, but obviously, you know, they had some injuries, and, and Gobert probably wouldn't have played no matter what. And Conley's got his situation and and Bogey, but you know, it seems to me they could have played O'Neal and Ingles, uh, but they're choosing not to. So they're sort of making a statement that. You know, we're not interested in pursuing the best record in the league. And, and ultimately, you know, when the playoffs start and the ball goes up in the air, and the record that you had in the regular season doesn't really matter. I, I understand that because they had it last year and still didn't get out of the second round. But what do you think their concern is as far as maybe third, fourth, fifth, even sixth in the standings? Do they, do they care about that? That's a great question, PK. The only thing I can refer to is Quinn Snyder. If you've listened to, to the Zoom cast, the Zoom reporting, when he speaks, he really continues to refer to about preparate, preparation and being playoff ready at game 70. Now, you know, that's uh, what are we tomorrow night? We'll be playing game 49. Uh, so we're 48 in, 49 tomorrow night. So you got about 20, 21 games to get things right. He wants to be at a high level with one focus. And, you know, a lot of teams, PK and, and Riley in the league, they'll always say that the seedings are overplayed, maybe for some, but not all. The home court plays a big role, and I think it does for the Jazz. I mean, this is an incredible fan base, and that home court advantage I think plays into a big favor for the Jazz. Maybe not all teams, but I think it, it does for Utah. Um, that's how solid the fans are during the regular season and obviously at a higher level during the playoffs. So I think this year they did learn something from last season. To be honest, the 52 wins look great on paper, but if you can't push it past the next level, past round two, and that's where they've been the last two seasons, you know, two and out, what's it take – to get even to the Western Conference Finals. Well, health for one, right? That's the one thing about Phoenix, in my opinion, is that Chris Paul's healthy. Uh, was last year and has been able to keep healthy this season, and it's proven in the record. He's the perfect fit for Devin Booker as a facilitator and leads the league in assists. I mean, you saw that last night uh, if you watched the game. So I, I to your question, I think the Jazz learned a lot last year it was it was a lot of pressure. I think they're feeling pressure, too, this year, which Riley may come into the equation of why they've had some ups and downs. Now, look, COVID and injuries is part of a, an 82-game schedule, but you've got to work through the fact that expectations are part of the next level. Champions have to be able to handle the pressure, right, and work through it, understand it. In fact, almost, um, I don't know, I would say embrace it. Uh, and I think the Jazz are still in that learning process on how to handle expectations, and that may be part of the equation of of uh, what we've seen over the last month with this team. Um, so we'll see how it works out. There's talent there, but there's a lot of talent in the West. I think it just depends on who's who's on target and, and basically who's the healthiest when uh, when late April comes around and you and you jump into the uh, the postseason.
Yeah, in in that regard, you know, to me, I, I understand where they're coming from to be able to just make sure you're playing your best ball uh, as far as that goes when it re- when it matters the most because ultimately that's you're gonna how you're gonna be judged. And we've had a couple of games here where virtually no starters are were available. I mean that that. And you you go back you go back as long as anybody in the market you know to and I was I was talking about uh, earlier uh, I think Thurl's first nine years in the league he missed a total of four games but in one year when he got traded he played eighty four which is two above the 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 maximum really so those four games got reduced to two and we all know about the statues and mark eaton they were just out there every single time and you can't really pin it upon the the jazz because it's not unique to them it just seems like that that's the way the league is right and i'm wondering does anybody care about where they're where they're seated i mean and you can make the argument why should you because milwaukee was fourth and they won it all yeah, no, that's that's uh, I think where people judge TK. You, this is a great conversation because the regular season fans come, fans pay, fans buy merchandise, fans buy concessions, and it's a long stretch of six months of eighty-two. And you make a great point during the Sloan, Larry Miller, Jerry Sloan, John Stockton, Jeff Hornacek era. There was a more attitude amongst the coaches, ownership, and players that it was a a badge of honor uh, to fight through uh, any type of injury. I mean, it's folklore, right? Riley and PK. Every you always hear something crazy about some athlete, you know. But for it's it's the big ankle sprain of one Carl Malone that was the size of a damn grapefruit, and he continued to wrap it with tape and play. Yeah, John Stockton's elbow. He could not. He only shot with one hand. I mean, I mean, you know, you, you hear these folklorish type stories, but in some reality, it, 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 I think it reflected on the coach as well. Jerry was that type of guy. I mean, you know, he came from that era where NBA ball players fought each other. Uh, they, 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 you know, smoke cigarettes at halftime, right? <laughs> it was, it was like, you know, all we knew, all they knew to do was to go play, and they were going to scrap. And and beat each other on the floor. That was the pride. Then all of a sudden, you got teams or a superstar who wanted to recruit a buddy or another or some other teammate to to form these super teams. And then that all changed. And I think getting back to coming back to square one, the the league obviously you want to play well, and and I still think you want to find yourself a home court advantage. But there's more of an attitude now being prepared. Uh, for the postseason and to get healthy, which means they will rest players. Uh, they won't let a, a, a player maybe aging like Mike. Uh, they want to make protect him because you know what, two PK and Riley, it's a bigger investment than it was during Carl and John's day. You know, thirty million dollar contracts are in vogue, and so ownership uh, and coaches and the and the medical staff realize, look. Uh, we've got to protect our investment, also the interest of what we're trying to accomplish, and ultimately, that's an NBA championship. Fans want that, and if they have to suffer through a month where you don't have a star player or two on the floor, then that's part of the sacrifice to get to the top. And hopefully the Jazz get healthy. I mean, this COVID is real, and they just happen to be the last team in the league. They protected themselves very well. I salute that because we went through some of the same protocol they did. 
uh, as a broadcast group. But, uh, you know, it was their turn. And right now it hurts. But can you turn it around, refocus, Riley Wright? I mean, I think that's part of the whole mental. Part of this, right, is not just winning ball games, but how mentally sound are you when the time comes to play in the postseason? Yeah, I, th- I think there's no question that, look, it's a long season, and I think that's what rookies always talk about. I, I saw something yesterday with Kobe Bryant where he was just talking about when he airballed those four or five shots against the Jazz and lost the series, and he was talking about what he learned from it. And he, he said, I learned that it's a long season, that the most games I'd ever played in a season was 35, and there I was on game you know 90 trying to trying to win it in the last seconds. And... The mentality that he took from that and the mentality that you have to learn at this point in the season is so is so vital. And I, I think that's true whether you're whether you're on the road traveling with them, whether you're whether you're at your own job. I mean there's just there's part of every year that's kind of the doldrums of your job and you have to figure out how to fight through it and have the right mentality to be able to be successful, right? Yeah, and Riley, I get asked this all the time. I mean, PK is a, a salty vet, right? But he still <laughs> learns, right? And don't you? Isn't that true to the case of whether you're four years, five years, nine years, fifteen years, sixteen years in the league? The why? The reason why you're there is because you still are hungry. I would guess, and right, and you still have the ability to adapt and learn. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think that there's some science to back that up, but I also think that that all of us anecdotally can just look at that and say, yeah, absolutely. I think I think that growth mindset, that that mindset to just like continue to grow and progress, or to be a lifetime lifetime learner, is what makes most of the great ones great. Right? They they never stopped learning and progressing and growing, and uh, those those are the people that I'm looking at to be successful. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Because I look at, uh, you know, how does Chris Paul keep the edge? I look at Rudy Gay. How do they keep the edge? How does LeBron, how does LeBron keep the edge? You know, how did Carl and John do it? I mean, those are, those are special high-level players that, you know, you'd almost have to really sit down and study for a while to understand what drove them to greatness, but also the, the pursuit of it and not being fatigued. You're finally saying, ah, I'm done. I don't see that in LeBron right now. Not at I mean, all. It's, it's, he's playing at an, again at a high level at 37. Yeah, for sure. And so is Tom Brady. Now, what he does, I don't know. But, you know, to get knocked out, you have to wait and not make a knee-jerk reaction. But at 44, man, I was still impressed with the way he, he handles the field, his teammates, and just the athletic ability he still possesses. It's Some of these guys are amazing. They really are. They spend a lot of money, right, on taking care of their body. So before I let you go, Greg, I don't want you to – you don't have to comment on – the political nature of the issue, but I wanted to hit you up with jo- the John Stockton thing, and right. I'm not looking for your, you know, if you want to get it, you can, but that's not the point. It just you know him very well. Uh, how surprised are you that he has put himself in the public spotlight? Because it seemed like that yeah. was something that he always ran the opposite direction from. I was stunned. I got to be <laughs> honest, because as you know, PK, you tried, I tried, everyone tried to get the. The, the interview, right, to get to really get to know John. And he would toy with us a little bit in the media. Never really was rude. You know, he told me, hey, Bowler, I'll talk to you after the game about my elbow. Okay, and then when I asked him, here's what he said. I said, John, tell me about the elbow. Bowler, it's fine. 
Yeah. That was it. <laughs> that was it. You know, I thought I was in for like a scoop, and he was going to tell me exactly what went down. But, you know, he pulled the strings on me. But that was John. And we just kind of got used to it. And right, he never, right. never wanted the spotlight. I remember, you know, he just said, Malone will take care of that. Yeah. And, you know, Carl loved the camera. He did. And John was able to just sidestep away and sneak away, and that's the way he wanted it. He goes, I don't understand, you know, Bowler, honestly, why people want to talk to me. And I said, John, you got to be kidding because you're one of the most elite point guards to ever play this game. But yeah. he just saw it as a job. So to your question, PK, honestly, very surprised that he's been this vocal, this public uh, about and, and controversial uh, and even Gonzaga, when that came out, uh, what, yesterday or was it over the weekend that right, they right. rescinded his tickets, you yeah. know, I thought, wow, this is just something I'm surprised John would even wade into I know. Uh, on a public stage. But it is what it is, and people are obviously have opinions that we all know uh, in the last couple of years that have come forth that we never thought some friends or families, you know, members think and believe. And here's another example of what, one individual truly in his heart uh, believes is truth. Um, I think you still have to be careful. I, I, I researched myself some of the athletes he professed that had dropped dead on the court or the pitch, and I haven't, I haven't seen that But I, because I think that would be making news. But, again, when you have passion, PK and Riley, sometimes, again, things get a little bit uh, sideways, as Jerry Sloan would say. Um, but look, it's John's opinion, and people people can make their own their own decision or uh, discuss it however they want to. There you go. Yeah, that's the final analysis. Hey, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Hey guys, good talking to you, Riley. DJ better uh, DJ better be careful, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we we love this show. We love this show. All right, hey, good talking to you guys. That was Craig Bullerjack. All right, we got to turn our attention to. I think we can say the best basketball team in the state, right? That's the BYU Cougars. Mark Pope held some media availability. We'll get to that next. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280, The Zone. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday morning hump day. A little past 6.30. Mark Pope meeting with the media as they get ready to continue their run through the West Coast Conference. They got Santa Clara. They should beat them. Uh, and then we'll see about uh, Gonzaga. What's that? Uh, a week from Saturday in Provo. Maybe they can get them there. That'll be a fun game. The place will be packed, I'm sure. But they got some preliminaries before then. Let's hear what Mark Pope has to say. Trevor's doing good. He's, uh, you know, uh, he's, 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 we just have a series of really, really tough defensive matchups right now with size. So, uh, what was the numbers? 10 name with San Diego? Uh, Erling 10, Erling, Erling Y or whatever. And then uh, with Portland, it was um, – I lost my mind. Anyway, been big physical match. Oh, no, actually, yeah, I mean, with, with San Diego, it was either him or Parrish, right? Really, really – they were really playing big down. And then, and then Portland was uh, Mosley. Is it Mo Woods? Moses Mo Woods. And is it Mo Woods? I think so. Six seven, six eight, right? So it's been – we've been playing really big threes. We're actually playing a really big physical three uh, – Santa Clara Justice, who shoots the living daylights out of the ball. And so it's really challenging us at the three to guard. Didn't see Giddy's today. Uh, that carry from that injury he had 
the yeah he tweaked his ankle at the beginning he was just out there on the at the beginning of practice kind of tweaked it so we just sent him back in just kind of take care of him he's a vet he knows that you know he's like listen monday tuesday probably not that important let me just milk this and we'll get a little some shots up wednesday and no i'm kidding he's not like that at all when you were talking to trevin just kind of stretching yep. area. Well, just a fun challenge for him. I mean, you know, um, it was not a dissimilar matchup with San Diego last night, and and, and uh, her uh, coach Sendek went straight at um, who's the, who's the the little white guard for San Diego, Joey Calcaterra. He went Justice went right out Calcaterra, like you know, to start the game. They were like, we're going right at We like the mismatch. We're going right at him. I'm, I'm sure they look at our lineup and say, oh, we're going to go the same direction. So Trev got a huge challenge now to begin this game. Can he step up and, and, and can he manage this? And it's, it's actually super fun. Like the matchups are really fun. And, and there's ways Trev can really attack on the other side of the ball. So it's going to be fun. If there, are, if there are times during the season where you kind of look at some metrics that you guys have internally or whatever is available to the public and you see a player like, Oh, one of one of my players isn't doing great right now in this area, yep. defensively or, or whatever it is. Yep. How do you adjust for that? What's the message there? How do you get them to care about the numbers, but also care about the long-term vision? Yeah. So the last couple of weeks, I've been just scratching my head because we're using these leverage numbers, which is a new analytic for us. It's a super comprehensive, and and um, there's there's some leverage numbers for players that do not match up with what I'm seeing with my with my eyes and. It doesn't match up with how I'm coaching. There was one player in particular that's super frustrating for me because I'm trying to dig deeper and deeper in the numbers and try and explain it. Like, um, you know, those are when the numbers get really interesting was, was when they don't match what you see. They don't match what you're expecting. And so that is a constant fight. Coach Fieger and Coach uh, and Keegan Brown and me were in the office for two hours this afternoon arguing, trying to dig deeper and deeper and figure out why these leverage numbers are kind of telling us something that is exactly the opposite of how we feel. And so you wrestle with them, right? The numbers, the numbers are never wrong. It's just how we understand them and the emphasis that we put into them. But there's no numbers that are comprehensive, right? And so it's, um, you know, unfortunately, we need a lot smarter people running this program to kind of digest all this than me. And so we're just hacking away at it. But you, we, we, we find times where our eyes are not matched up with the numbers all the time. And that's when it gets really interesting. That's why, that's why you use them. You don't just follow them blindly because you, if you're blind to the numbers, you could use the numbers wrong, right? So uh, it's really challenging. I mean, we're talking about a leverage number that we're talking about offensive efficiency versus uh, the, the you know who is ending the possession and the percentage of times they were using the end of the possession. We had them on a graph uh, plotted out, and so you know we had a couple guys that were uh, ending the possession. Um, not it's a little bit like a bell curve not often enough for their usage and some guys that weren't and it's 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 just a way more in-depth kind of conversation about something that we generally talk about is just general usage is a pretty simple idea and so just trying to find um you know what is super meaningful and we believe in to make changes and what is kind of like ah i get it but that's not really taking you know those metrics aren't taking other things into account you can tell it's driving me crazy. Yeah. Yeah, they're big, man. I mean, starting with this uh, Jay Will is is huge. I mean, you know, and he's 
kind of point guard, off guard, just a guard, right? And he's just he just brings so much size to the equation, and it makes itself uh, complicated in a bunch of different places. So one defensively, clearly just shooting over the top, but also seeing over the top, and all of a sudden passing angles that are normally complicated and normally you could take away, and they take some time. He 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 makes those passing passes easy. Like he doesn't need to find a window or an angle or anything. He just pass over the top. And then defensively, you know, they'll V back a lot on ball screens. And so normally V back, you're thinking about take it to a roast, or you're thinking about let's run a curry out of it, or let's just you know let's just take advantage of the the big or whatever. But um, you know, it's almost like switching same size, right? When they switch, you know, you, you got Jay Will guarding you and and then you got Vrankic guarding you, you know, because they switched and, and you, you don't have any size advantage. And so, um, you know, it's it shows itself in a, in a, in a ton of different ways. And, uh, you know, Herb's a smart coach. Coach Sandek's a really smart, obviously a really smart coach. And, uh, they use it to their advantage, their length. It's, it's, a, it's a problem. Yeah, just casually. I mean, I, I, I love him so much and I respect him so much. And he's one of the great storytellers. He's one of the great storytellers of all the time. I don't know how, I, you know, I don't hear him with the media a lot, but like in private, man, he could tell stories. He's a great speaker. He's, he's uh, you know, he would be, he would digest all these numbers in a second. You know, he's a Wharton grad and, you know, I think his mom is probably one of the few moms in the world that's more disappointed that he didn't go to into. You know, he's got a Wharton degree and they go to finance, and so. But man, he's had an unbelievable career. Just won his 500th game. It's 500 games, guys. Wow. Going back to the size, like you, you got a Tiki who had that impressive stretch in, in yep. the practice state of the rebound and then the block and then the yep. uh, finish. It's, it's, that, that growth from Atiki, what uh, your of that stretch for him? Yeah, it's really important for us. You know, we've talked about it since the beginning of the season. Foose and Atiki, just because of the situation we're in, you know, our ceiling is a little bit connected to those two guys. And it's really fun to see them grow because they're both growing really quickly. And, and so it's, it's, it's fun because the guys witness it. You know, um, you know, the guys appreciate it also. And everybody's watching it in real time. Coach, you talked last week about what the AP polls mean to you, um, and just the reputation of the program. What, what are your thoughts on being ranked just one outside the top? Yeah, we're just we're just one out, man. I think we're 24, 10 Palm, 25 Net, 26 AP. So it's um, it's. I mean, it sounds like that's probably where we should be ranked. I mean, it's pretty good consistency right there. And um, this will be another opportunity this week. We got two really tough games on the road, so it'll be an opportunity to prove if we be- if we belong there. If we don't, uh, we've had good fortune. You know, um, St. Mary's now at home jumped into a quad one win, so hopefully they can maintain that because that really helps us. It gives us a- another quad one win versus a quad two, and and. Uh, I think Oregon now is is finally jumped into a quad one, or they're right there on the. I think they jumped to forty nine in the net, so they're a quad one, and they that that should be a. I mean this this Oregon game that should be like a quad zero. They're so good, and I mean they say it was a neutral, but it was in Portland. I mean it was, I don't know how much less neutral you get that. I mean you walk around Portland, you, there's ducks everywhere. In fact, I kid you not. You see these ducks on TV, and they look so cute. You know what I mean? Like they look like they look fuzzy, and they got a big beak. You see them in person; they're freaking terrifying. 
Have you seen a duck in person? Like they're waddling around, quack, 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 and they're, they're like, yeah, I mean, it is terrifying. So you think about going to play that great team with all these ducks running around, it's, it's scary. So we should get more credit for that. But the, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty consistent right where we are. And I'm super proud of where we are. I mean, I wish we were one spot up, but we got to earn it. We have a chance to earn it. I know you like routine. When you go on the road, is there a certain routine you try to get these guys ready to play? Yeah, we, we kind of do. I mean, we're super boring that way. We, we do the same thing over and over. You know, I think Tony Bennett's one of the great – uh, coaches in all of college basketball and I don't know him well but he's been generous a couple times on the road in the summer he's been willing to let me sit down and just ask him questions I know it's annoying as can be but it's what I do and um, you know one time he told me he's like one of the biggest challenges we have is you know and this is you know a program that I don't know how many years in a row they won the ACC outright and the championship and won the NCAA championship but he's like one of the most challenging things we have is our guys getting bored because we do the same thing over and over and over and over again every day and that's actually how you become really good at things. And so, you know, I believe in routine. I think it's really important. I also believe that we got to change things up as much as we can to stay fresh. But um, our routine is important to us. Coach, you're around these guys a lot. You have personal relationships with them. I'm, it's kind of like a great question. But what do you find quirky about this team? You know, whatever, whatever that word means to you, what do you find quirky about <sighs> Great question. Um, Uh, this team's got a lot of a lot of fun personality, right? This, you know, I'll tell you what's interesting, and this is not so quirky, but it's really interesting. This this team has got like growth everywhere, um, like and and growth in all kind of different ways. Like I got something from Seneca Knight in the last couple of days that I have not got from him, and it's really important. It has nothing to do with basketball, right? Um, you know. Uh, you know, you, you have the Atiki and Foos uh, kind of growth that's really, really fantastic. Um, you have the growth of these two veteran point guards, these two great players in Alex and Tijon. It's way different, but it's super exciting to watch. It's really, really fun. Like Alex Barcelo right now is taking strides to grow in ways that he's probably been pushing me to, to, to have the room to grow for two and a half years and now he's ready right it's time and Tijon Lucas has grown in this magnificent way as a leader of man right that's so beautiful and and um you know and then you have these guys like uh like Spencer Johnson who is is growing uh in such immense ways and nobody's even talking about it right um, so I think I think in that you know when you have growth it makes things really dynamic like our locker room changes every day and it's pretty cool so not really quirky but I think it's something fun and I think it's something that's been really 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 engaging for me. When you first started recruiting Spencer years ago, what did you see in him? Can you kind of you know, take us to where he is now and how that growth you've seen in him? Well, most of the guys that I recruit tell me no, and Spencer was one of those guys. And uh, but we got a second crack at him, and uh, you know, he I think I think he just felt sorry for me. So he was like, ah, I told this guy no one time, so maybe this time I'll I'll do it. And um, I'll tell you, Spencer Johnson's story is 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 pretty awesome because. Spence, um, you know, I actually fell in love with him when he was playing his senior year, summer before his senior year in high school, where I was like, man, this guy, just like, you look at him and you don't think he can make these plays, and then he makes every play at every level. And um, he just has a poise about him that's really incredibly special. And then... 
and then we tried to recruit him really hard, and he was he was just not drinking the Kool Aid, man. He could see right through me, and then. Uh, then he went on his mission, and then coming back, you know, he went to Weber, and it wasn't quite the right fit, and then he went to UVU, and it wasn't quite the right fit, and then he did something that takes a ton of courage, man. He left a Division I scholarship and went to play junior college his second year, and that takes a ton of courage. I mean, it's it's really an extraordinary thing because because – you know, you take that step back and people kind of write you off. You know, it could, it, I think at times it could feel like you're confirming the fact that maybe what people have said, you know, you always hear people saying you're not good enough and then you're going from Division One back to junior college. To take a step backward takes an immense amount of courage. Most of us wouldn't. Most of us would just kind of hide somewhere and be like, I'm fine not getting time but I'm not, or, or not being in the right place, but I'm doing So you think about the courage it took for Spence to do that. And then he was, and you're also, at the end of the day, you're saying it takes so much courage to bet on yourself. And that's what he did. He bet on himself. He's like, I know I can do this. I know given another chance, I can go prove to everybody in the country that I am good enough to go play this game. And so his, his first year in junior college, it was his first year where he really had his mission legs back. You know, it takes some time to get that done, and he had some continuity. And I went and saw him in a tournament in the fall in Colorado, maybe, like a um, two-day deal. And my gosh, he was putting on a show. And the thing that stood out to me more than anything else was his closing speed. His closing speed is, and that's what we watch every single game, is, is like you just don't see players with the ability to do what he does. At this level, at any level in college basketball, you don't see it. And then that combined with his toughness and, and this, I mean, Spence only weighs about 60 pounds, but he's got a physicality with this game that's so skilled. It's like a skilled physicality. It's so special. And so then I found myself in the same spot where I'm begging him to be like, please just, just talk to me one, give me one more chance. And he's been a star, man. It's, a, it's incredible to watch. Like, you know, he's probably – the most undervalued person on our team. And I'm not saying that because um, I'm not saying that because because we undervalue what he does. What I'm saying is he gets the least amount of attention for the incredible work that he does. Like we, there's no chance. There's zero chance we have the success we had this year, last year. No chance without him. None. Like, he's one of the few guys that I just put on the court, and I'm just like, eh. in fact, it's starting to hurt me to, to, to keep the rotation. Like, I'm like, I got to I gotta put somebody else in. I got to give somebody else a chance to play some minutes. And I'm like, ah, oh, I wish we could play six guys. The, the problem with Spence, too, is he never gets tired. So a lot of these guys, I can be like, oh, good, he's tired. I can move on with the rotation. Spence never gets tired. He's shooting the ball unbelievably well. His, all his metrics are ridiculous. So he's crushing it. Great story, man. Coach, there's a talk on in the football side of college sports with the transfer portal. I'm curious just from your thoughts. Uh, you built a, a program roster with guys from the portal. Uh, do you feel like the portal has been a good thing for college sports right now? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's good and bad. It's everything. Like, everything's good and bad, right? But the portal's what we got. And so what we'll do is focus on the greatness of the portal. And so the portal's a great thing. 
uh, and that's what I'm going to choose to focus on is, is um, you know, I've seen guys come into my program that are that are feeling a little bit broken and find new life and new determination. And it, and it's almost like the, the change is so scary and so humbling that it lets you start over or reset. And for the guy in the right spot in his life, it can change his life forever. I've also seen guys leave my program a little bit, you know, hurt and a little bit struggling and go somewhere else and actually find new life to their game, right? And so, um, so I think what I'm going to do is choose to take this portal is 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 all the positives of it, and um, and you know I think I think what it's done is it's made everybody feel a little bit older. Like it's, it's somehow with COVID and portals combined, like everybody we play feels older. Like I think I don't know what the numbers are, but in my mind. We're like right in the middle of the WCC in terms of age of our team. I don't know how common that is for BYU, right? I think it's normally the opposite. And, and um, you know, so I, 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 I believe in second chances, man. I believe it. I believe in second chances when I'm the good guy and when I'm the bad guy because these young men, they get one chance to do this, meaning they get one run through college athletics, right? And so if the best thing for a guy is to, is to take the hit and go through that process, which is a really tough process, and get a fresh start, and if he's ready to use it, let's go. Like, it's awesome. I mean, we're a school of redemption. That's what BYU is, right? That's what we believe in. I mean, that's the heart of it. everything we believe in here at BYU is second chances. Like, we are the second chance school, right? I mean, that's the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And so if you think about um, this transfer portal as second chances, then I think it's a, it is a beautiful thing that, that fits in incredibly where, here with what BYU stands for. I really do. That's Mark Pope. Coming up next, 7 o'clock hour, what is trending? Get you caught up on the NBA, college basketball, Arizona, and UC Los Angeles had a big game, the two leaders in the Pac-12, and then some hires. In college football, or NFL football, I should say. And also resignation. Yeah, a big deal. We'll get it all next. And then at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk some baseball Hall of Fame with Steve Clockey. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone.